BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Pamela Price won election as Alameda County District Attorney in 2022 with 53% of the vote. She promised to be a progressive DA to try to end the, quote, over-criminalization of black and brown young people and to rework the basic operations of the district attorney's office. She won in the same year that Chesa Boudin and San Francisco lost a recall election, which complicated the narrative that the Bay Area had swung to tough-on-crime policies. But now, Price faces a well-funded recall as crime in Oakland has surged over the last year and really all the way since 2019's low. Pamela Price joins us to talk about her vision and response to rising Oakland crime after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're joined this morning by Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price, who made the trip over the bridge to our studio here. And we're going to get right into it. Thank you for joining us, District Attorney Price. Thank you for having me. Good morning. So before we get into the recall or crime statistics, I want you to give people your vision for the DA's office, especially now that you've had a year to kind of test your ideas about what you wanted to do with the realities of the job. Yes, it's been a great year. 2023, the first year of our administration, was inspiring. And I look forward in 2024 to continuing the work that was done. We had a great opportunity to come into an office that was very much in crisis, and we were able to bring in a number of um, great folks to work in the office. We were able to address the backlogs and victim services. My team made tremendous progress in reducing the number of cases that needed to be, where services needed to be provided for victims through the Family Justice Center as well as the Victim Witness Division. And we expect to continue that. We've gotten renewed grants from the state of California, and we're looking to expand the services that we provide. Mm-hmm. Additionally, I was able to bring in new attorneys and new staff to beef up the mental health Um, units, the diversion courts, the people that staff our diversion courts, as well as our felony trial unit. I've created the anti-slavery prosecution unit to address human trafficking, which is a major issue that we intend to tackle in a renewed way in Alameda County, uh, as well as continuing to expand our collaborative courts and beef up our prosecution teams. We're working very effectively with law enforcement across the county. So there's been a lot of 
positive developments in the office and in our relationships. My election was an opportunity to reset everything. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing that and we've learned a lot and we intend to continue that into 2024. So when you say that the office was in crisis when you came in, what do you mean by that? I mean that the office had uh, undergone apparently a lapse of management and leadership. And so the environment was very toxic. We found employees were traumatized across the organization. The technology was uh, just starting to catch up to the 21st century. Uh, They didn't get a chance to have, most of the employees did not have laptops until late 2019. And then the pandemic hit. And so we have a, a case management system that wasn't created or set up to work with the people, the employees, particularly the attorneys, who actually have to manage that uh, to give us the information that we need. Mm. Um, It was a very, um, you know, a lot of neglect. This, uh, the physical plant that we found, we're in 10 locations. And so as the chief administrator of the organization, it was my responsibility to begin to address the needs of the staff in terms of health and wellness, which were pretty dramatically presented to us from day one, uh, as well as the the locations and the environments that needed a lot of upgrading. And so we've been about doing that work. So this may not be the narrative that people have heard. And one reason is that a recall campaign, as I understand it from KQD's Annalise Finney, Basically, the whisper campaign started, you know, within a couple months of you taking office. Um, Chase Boudin, who was recalled in the election in which you became district attorney, um, said they were going to try to recall her, that is to say Pamela Price, no matter what. They want anybody who has a vision for trying to change the system to learn the lesson that you don't try to change the system. Do you agree with that? I do. I think that there's a lot of resistance within. There certainly was a lot of resistance within the office. People in the office were not prepared for the transition. There's been a lot of resistance within the court system. I think that we walked into a situation where for decades people had prospered, participated, and profited from a broken system. And so those, when that change happened, it was unexpected. It was stunning to some people. And there was... uh, an immediate reaction that this cannot have happened in Alameda County. We have to start mobilizing to revert. We need another election. Mm. And that's what they started. Given that you knew that recall was coming, have you had to do anything differently through this first year of your administration than you would have if you didn't have that pressure from the very beginning? Certainly, I would not have had to ask my supporters and my donors to continue to donate and to create a new campaign, which they did, called Protect the Win. Um, I wanted to be engaged with the community, so I would have continued to do that and had the opportunity to go out and speak to people. And in fact, I created the Community Support Bureau to ensure that my office has, again, to reset our relationship with the community and ensure that my office has a really robust relationship with what is happening with our community. Because my perception was that the DA's office was very detached from the majority of the people in our county. Mm. And so, you know, having to fight for the right to be where the people elected me to Mm. be is disconcerting, distracting at times. And I think that was the goal was to distract me Mm. from doing my job. And I knew that. And so I'm not. I'm doing my job. How about on an actual sort of policy or implementation of policy level, though? Like, do you 
Do you feel like you've had to moderate the vision that you came in with in as a result either of the recall pressure or the very real rise in crime in Oakland? I mean, I think we're talking robbery up 37 percent, burglaries 25 percent, motor vehicle theft 45 percent. Like, have you had to change anything as a result of that on the ground reality and the people who are talking about it to, to try and get you recalled? I think our policies are very much in line with how do you address crime. We understood that that is the mission in part of our office as prosecutors. And so it is critical that we balance our administration of justice, not only with holding people accountable, but doing so in a way that is fair and transparent and with some compassion. And so that practice and our theme of our administration, that has not changed and it should not change. I think that the use of crime as a weapon against myself and other progressive prosecutors is a political ploy because crime is not something that we are immune to, any of us, or that we are not committed to addressing. Um, The policies have been worked out over time and we have not, you know, dropped a whole lot of policies. I walked into the office understanding that culture eats policy for lunch. <laughs> and so my focus mm-hmm. in the first year has been how do I create a work environment that people feel safe in mm-hmm. that is really that the commitment that people have made to serve the public is actually reflected in how we get that mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. I mean, traditionally I think DAs were asked to be measured by keeping crime down, whether or not they had a direct impact on that or not. We can talk about that in a second. But that was traditionally, I think, how a lot of DAs said, this is how you should measure my performance. I mean, given the emphasis that you have on systemic change, do you think that's how voters and residents should measure your performance as DA? Not necessarily. I think that the traditional way of district attorneys approaching this job was one that was led by a limited world view of what the role of the district attorney is. As a minister of justice for Alameda County, I see my role as making sure that we're providing uh, evidence-based, trauma-informed support and services to victims of crime and survivors so that we can help people more quickly heal from the impact of crime and become survivors. I'm also a member of the community, and so my role is to educate our community about what is happening with respect to how the justice system is impacting our community Mm -hmm. and to be prepared to address those impacts, not just through a lens of, you know, the traditional kind of, uh, which was driven a lot by law enforcement. And that whole conversation was pretty limited. And one of the things that has happened since really the early 2000s is that the conversation has expanded. And we've begun to look at what does it mean to have, what is the impact of mass incarceration on a community? What is the impact of racial disparities in the criminal justice system on a community? Those things were not being discussed. And certainly not being addressed uh, prior to my administration. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that conversation developed in the context of, you know, falling crime, crime that had been falling since kind of the decline of the, the crack era. And then over the last few years, we've seen crime begin to move back upwards uh, in many places, but specifically in the Bay Area and even more specifically in Oakland. Um, do you think that the th- theories of how to change the carceral state need to evolve 
because of the increase in crime? Or, or do you think this is a different kind of opportunity? I think it's a different kind of opportunity. I mean, I think that, but I do agree that the theories of carceral, um, the mechanism does need to evolve. Obviously, as you point out, crime started increasing in the Bay Area more than probably in the last three or four years. Even before the pandemic, we were seeing increases. Certainly in Oakland, the homicide numbers began in 2019. We were at some of our highest levels than we had been since the early 2000s. And so when you look at the stats and the rise in crime, you see that it is not the impact of the district attorney is part of a whole system. And it involves a number of different actors and a lot of different factors that um, we wouldn't want to adjust one piece of the puzzle without also addressing the other pieces. Do you think there is a connection between crime rates and the actions of DAs? I think that DAs are, again, one part of the puzzle. I work within a system that includes the courts, and judges have a tremendous amount of influence over who gets released pre-trial or how bail gets set or who gets on probation, or really ultimately what the sentence is, is determined by a judge. And whether or not that sentence has an impact on people on the streets is there seems to be very little connection to that. Mm-hmm. I think the other issue that is primarily and predominant in our criminal justice system is the work of law enforcement, actually solving crimes, because I think that's what drives people's perceptions, whether you're somebody who's engaging in crime, what's the risk of my getting caught? as well as someone who's about to be a victim of crime. What's going to be the police response when I am a victim of crime? We're talking with Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price about her vision for the office and the recall election against her. What questions do you have for District Attorney Price? You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on various social channels. Or you can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We'll be back with more with Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price right after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price. Going to take some of your comments and your calls uh, for the rest of the show. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can find us on social channels, of course. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. 
Um, Pam, we've got a, uh, a comment already, uh, District Attorney Price. Um, Susan writes, I'm a liberal Democrat, all about reform, but what we in Oakland have been experiencing feels like nothing less than anarchy. Last year, a series of robberies and assaults in broad daylight plagued a large part of the city when the police finally made arrests. DA Price released them the next morning. This and many other similar atrocities are nothing less than a dereliction of duty. I'm sure you've heard these kinds of comments. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about what has happened in some of these high-profile uh, circumstances. So um, there's a lot of high-profile cases. I can't yeah. talk about particular cases. What I can speak to is that I am not the district attorney of Oakland. I'm the district attorney of Alameda County. And certainly what Oakland has experienced has been traumatizing for all of us. I have been a crime, a victim of crime in Oakland multiple times since the pandemic. And it is very um, disturbing. And what people should know is that we take crime very seriously and the prosecution of cases very seriously. What people should also understand is that DA Price does not release people. That is a function of our judicial system. When people are arrested, they go before a judge and the judge decides we have 48 hours to charge people if they are, in fact, in custody. Mm -hmm. And then um, the judge has the opportunity at that point to decide if the person should be released on their own recognizance, if they should have to post bail and how much the bail should be. And one of the issues with the bail system that we know is that if you have the money to post bail, even if you are a danger to the community, you are able to be released back into the community. Mm -hmm. So I want to be very clear that it is not the district attorney's office and certainly not me on a daily basis looking to release people. It is a judicial process that my deputies yeah. appear in court on a daily basis. So, you know, when Chase Boudin was battling a recall and he came on the show, I mean, he noted that his charging rate was very similar to his predecessor in the office, like the actual statistics of, you know, how often he brought charges for, for people out there. Um, how, how does your office's charging rate compare with your predecessor, Nancy O'Malley? So one of the things that Chasa had the advantages is that he followed George Gascon, who was a very experienced and, and seasoned district attorney who understood the value of data and the use of technology. San Francisco is far more advanced, what we found, than Alameda County. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in Alameda County, the, day, the case management system that came online pretty much during the pandemic was not set up to be able to track or create that kind of comparative data. And that's something that we've been working mm. on. We're now working with UC Berkeley. We've engaged in an agreement with them to help us build the architecture of the data so that we can begin to answer some basic questions as, mm. as you've asked. Yeah. We just don't have that capacity at this time. Yeah. Um, going back to our our listeners' uh, comment or, or question, I mean, I think the reference was probably to a kind of announcements that were made by the police department about a series of very public robberies and assaults um, that were happening, you know, across the, across Oakland. Um, and then there were nine juvenile defendants who were brought in by the police, but they weren't charged. Um, and I think a lot of people want to know why that happened. And it's been, I, I think you provided an explanation at times, but maybe walk us through what should happen to, you know, children, juvenile defendants who have, been brought in by police and accused of crimes 
Um, how does the process like play out from that point? So what the public should know is the police don't bring them to the district attorney's office. Children who are brought in by the police, number one, they're not brought in. The police, the process is that the police actually call uh, the juvenile hall in Alameda County, which is run by the Alameda County Probation Department. There is an intake probation officer who takes that call, and they have a risk assessment process that they go through to determine whether or not the child should be incarcerated. My information from the new chief of probation is that 99% of the time when those calls come in, there is a decision uh, made to incarcerate that child. So only the public should know that only 1% by probation's uh, data or estimate is that only 1% of those children who are actually detained by police are actually released into the community. And it's a and release process. The 99% are determined by the probation mm. intake officer who decides should they go to juvenile hall. And at that point, based on the phone call, then they are actually transported to juvenile hall. They are placed into the custody of the Alameda County Probation Department. And then probation proceeds from there. Uh, our office, we have a, a unit that staffs the Juvenile Justice Center, which mm-hmm. is run by the probation department and the courts, and we participate in the process as it goes forth from there, working with probation as well as with the courts to determine what the best, the next step should be. Mm-hmm. Juveniles are by law treated very differently from adults, and there's every effort made to ensure that they are not incarcerated for extreme length periods of time, that they're not impacted by an incar- a stay at the Juvenile Justice Center. As a, as a progressive DA, do you think the process is working the way that it should? That's a good question. I mean, I have not done an evaluation yet of what the probation system is with young folks at Juvenile Hall. We're just start one of my goals in 2024 is to work with the probation department. We just got a new chief. Uh, And I've met with him and his team, some members of his team. I met with them last year, but we didn't have a full opportunity. There was so much going on Mm -hmm. internally in my division, uh, in my agency, that I really needed to focus again internally. So we are going to have conversations and we have started the conversations with Chief Ford to look at what is, how is it working for juveniles? Also, how is it working for adults? Because we really have no control once a person is charged. If there's a decision to revoke probation or if someone's placed on probation, we lose any control about what happens to them at that point, unless and until they're arrested. Yeah. Um, One of the you know, major planks of your uh, your platform as DA has been you pledged early on to only use sort of sentencing enhancements in uh, in rare cases. Why was that an important thing to do for you? One of the things that the one of the reasons the voters elected me is to root out the racial, socioeconomic, and gender disparities that have infected the Alameda County criminal justice system. And the district attorney has office has played a major role, particularly with respect to racial disparities. We are mandated 
under the Racial Justice Act to begin to address those disparities very aggressively. And so we have initiated training. We've already completed the training of our senior supervisors on the Racial Justice Act. And just this week or this month, we're starting training of our line deputies. It is critical that we take, that we follow the lead of the California legislature in addressing enhancements. The governor um, commissioned a commission on sentencing review, and out of that came SB 81, which was um, sponsored by our own Senator Nancy Skinner. And it addresses the use of enhancements and the need to limit the use of enhancements in a very significant way. It provides guidance not only to judges but to district attorneys about how you charge enhancements and what factors have to be considered. And so we knew it was imperative for us to develop a policy as quickly as we could. We took our time. We listened to the deputies in our office. We actually surveyed Uh, the charging deputies to understand what were they doing, what were they using as guidelines, how had they been trained, what documentation did they have, and we found a hodgepodge of training and experience and materials, and so we created a policy to try to standardize it as a first step of addressing, um, you know, the indiscriminate use of enhancements. You know, I think in the abstract, I think many people have come to understand that research says that sentencing enhancements lead to longer sentences, particularly for black and brown young people uh, relative to others. And at the same time, in individual cases that people hear about, um, those the lack of enhancements can feel like there's a, the sentence is too light. And there's, you know, for people who read the Berkeley scanner or something, you can see many, many uh, cases where people have have complained about that. Another listener writes in to say, um, can you tell us why there seem to be so many plea bargains that result in lesser charges and reduced sentences for violent offenders? What role does violence play in your office's charging policies? So historically, the criminal justice system has relied almost entirely on plea bargains. And when I say historically, I mean really over decades. So our plea bargaining system has not changed under my administration. It is baked into the system because there are so many people that are coming through the system and there are limited resources, whether you're talking about the number of deputies, the number of um, staff that we have to process cases, but more importantly, the number of courts. If everybody, if we took every case to trial, the court system would shut down. And that has been a feature since before I was in law school. Uh, So if you've studied the criminal justice system, you know that probably 95 percent, I've seen research that says as high as 95 percent of cases are resolved by plea bargains. And it is just the way of doing business. That has not changed under our administration. We evaluate every case individually. I And that is the responsibility of my deputies, that I expect them to look at the facts of the case. Certainly violence is a major factor, and we focused a lot on addressing violent crimes, as law enforcement generally does. In in Oakland in particular, that's led to a feeling that crime is out of control because the resources are being dedicated to violent crime and to solving those crimes, unfortunately, at the expense of retail crime crimes, low-level crimes, you know, uh, burglaries, robberies, those sorts of things, in particular, if they don't involve violence, take a back seat 
often in our system. And that's a question of scarce resources and the use of technology from our perspective. We want to be able to invest in technology so that we can expedite our processing and be able to expand the opportunity that we have to to administer justice. I mean, on the retail side of things, though, and even things that are seen as you know, they're they're not necessarily violent crimes, retail theft or breaking into things after hours. That does seem to have had a huge impact on the small business owners of, of the East Bay because they're just getting broken into time and time and time again. And I think the, the question is, I understand that you're not the police chief. Um, and the question for me is, and I think if, if I read you a lot of these comments, they're similar. It's like, what what does the district attorney have control over as it relates to reducing crime? Like, what do do you see that as that there's a lever that you can pull there or not? Question: Can I wave a magic wand over Oakland? Yes. <laughs> no, I can. Or something, something. You know, marginal improvement. I think is all yeah. people are really looking for. Well, I think we have to look at at it from certainly from my perspective. I receive my office receives reports from 19 different police agencies, most of which are not involved in the policing process in Oakland Mm -hmm. or addressing crime in Oakland. We have 14 cities and six unincorporated areas. And so the perspective that this is happening across the East Bay. Fremont, different from Oakland. Fremont's different from Oakland. Every 13 other cities and six unincorporated areas are different from Oakland. And so the, the, if I could make the crime rate in Oakland look like it looks in Fremont, I would gladly do that. If I could make it look like it looks in Livermore or Castro Valley, I would gladly do that. I don't have the ability to make uh, in any city to make that jurisdiction's issues less or more than any other jurisdiction. Yeah. Let's get to a call here. Um, Karen in San Francisco. Welcome, Karen. Hello, Alexis, and hello, Pamela. I'm a big supporter of yours and of Chesa Boudin. And I'm calling in to say the recall of Chesa Boudin is a cautionary tale. You know, uh, Brooke Jenkins claimed that she was going to reduce crime. Well, it turns out crime has gone up under her. And I think that anyone who wants to reduce crime has to look themselves in the mirror The drivers of crime in the Bay Area is inequality, is lack of educational access. 58% of SFUSD students graduate from high school, college, and career ready. Those are the levers that we need to be pulling on if we want to reduce crime. We're never going to punish and police our way out of these problems. The problems are systemic, and we have to have a systemic answer. And if people don't like the district attorney, they should recruit a different candidate and have them campaign against her and propose their ideas of what they're going to do. Not go on attack, not divide the community, because it's in division that crime flourishes. Hey, um, Karen, appreciate your perspective. I'm sure some other folks have other ones. We'll get to more calls. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. You can email forum at kqed.org. Of course, we're talking with Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price. 
there are a lot of call a lot of comments coming in um, like this. I was robbed at gunpoint near my home. I found an Oakland police officer who said that the DA office would likely not prosecute the case, even though a deadly weapon was used, because DA Price doesn't support enhancements for crimes with a deadly weapon. Why do you treat crimes with guns the same as those without guns? This has nothing to do with racial discrimination. Enhancements are an important way to distinguish between dangerous and non-dangerous crimes. Maybe you can answer that on just the that the last question. You know. Are enhancements an important way to distinguish between dangerous and non-dangerous crimes? Not at all. Um, And we have not, we have continued to use enhancements in appropriate cases. Again, I can't comment on specific cases. And again, I'm not the chief of police or the mayor of Oakland. Uh, But we do not uh, use enhancements. Enhancements are not the way that you would distinguish between violent and non-violent crimes. Um, enhancements have become disfavored for a lot of different reasons. The, what the public should know is that we are the youth. The, one of the reasons why enhancements are disfavored is because the penalties for violent crimes are very, very severe in many cases um, where we look at a case and we feel like the time does not match the crime. Then we have opportunities to bring other charges Um, to expand the scope of what is being charged without necessarily relying upon enhancements. Mm -hmm. And the directive from the legislature is that you should not rely upon enhancements to um, essentially address crime as a matter of of course. Yeah. What what are the other avenues, I guess, when people hear, you know, that getting rid of enhancements means thing the punishment might be less severe. I think some people don't actually want that, right? I mean, some people want more severe punishment. So some people want more severe punishment, true. Some people want restorative justice, true. We have to be responsive to certainly the will of the entire community. And I ran on a platform that we were going to use restorative justice where it was appropriate, and the people supported that. Um, You know, every case is different. Every victim is different. And there's no one victim or even one group that speaks for all victims in Alameda County or in our country. My responsibility as a district attorney is to make sure that one of the tools that we have in our office is to provide services and support for victims of crime to ensure that they become survivors of crime. And that's one of the features that different differentiates my office from law enforcement. We're talking with Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price. Um, One election in 2022 faces a recall election this year. You can email your comments to forum at kqed.org. The phone number is 866-733-6786. We're talking about changes she's made to the office, vision for the office, uh, and what she's been doing to try and address the concerns of the whole community. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the work that you've done on human trafficking, um, largely people being trafficked into into sex work, which you've called a form of modern slavery in Alameda County, and think it's seen as a, a hotspot for this kind of crime. Um, what's your approach been there that's been different from uh, previous district attorneys? Certainly, we are now raising awareness around across the county in a way that was not previously done. I committed $150,000 of funding that we got from a grant to put up massive billboards at the Oakland International Airport, acknowledging that human trafficking is an international billion-dollar business and that people are coming in and out of Alameda County, often through the airport. And people, we want people who are visiting, as well as our residents, to be aware that this is happening around us. We're the third largest hub in the country Mm. for human trafficking. We are perfectly geographically situated between Silicon Valley, San Francisco, Northern California. And so it's important for us to recognize it's not an Oakland problem, even though we see it's visibly reflected Mm -hmm. in particular neighborhoods in Oakland. It is an Alameda County problem. Mm -hmm. And so I see our offices particularly well spaced or suited Mm -hmm. to address it and working in collaboration with other district attorney's office in Contra Costa, which has done a major job of um, tackling human trafficking, as well as the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, um, ATF, because often the same networks that are used to traffic people, mm-hmm. whether it's sex trafficking and labor trafficking, are used to, to sell guns, mm-hmm. move guns through our mm-hmm. Bay Area, as well as drugs. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking we're to develop a comprehensive regional approach to uh, the fight against human trafficking. And does that mean that you set up like a separate investigative unit? Does that mean like what does it actually look like on a kind of practical institutional level to try to build the capacity to combat human trafficking? Absolutely. We have created an internal working group. I created last July an internal working group called the Heart Team of all of the people in our office, across the office that were engaged in work that touched on this issue, whether it was the juvenile justice team, whether it was the family justice folks, whether it was our sexual assault unit. And so the HEART team has is the way in which we are going to engage in the community and will drive our policy as well as our engagement with the regional law enforcement pro- 
partners uh, that we've already made contact with. In addition, I created the Anti-Slavery Prosecution Unit, which is a team of prosecutors, invest inspectors, as well as our victim advocates, as well as some data folks that are going to be tackling this issue in a very focused way. Let's um, go back to the phones here. We've got um, Sai in Fremont. Welcome. Hi, good morning. Thank you, uh, District Attorney. I appreciate the time here for us uh, citizens to connect with you. You know, from a policy perspective, I'm just keen to understand where you stand uh, in terms of elevating public safety. When I, you know, I'm a former uh, Democrat and I look at the Republicans like Vin Crutiventi running for Congress, they're really talking about practical common sense safety. But from a practical perspective, would you feel comfortable walking down the streets of Oakland without police protection or private security? I'm just driving back from Oakland this morning, and I'll tell you, I didn't feel safe. So I'm just keen to get your perspective. As a you know, former Democrat, now looking at a Republican, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, where did we lose our way? Where did we lose our soul and spirit in keeping our communities and ourselves safe? Thank you. Thanks for that perspective. Sure. That's an important question. And if you, as a resident of Fremont, you know that what is happening in Oakland is not happening in Fremont or Dublin or Livermore. As a longtime resident of Oakland since 1978, Yes, I feel safe walking, and I do walk in Oakland, um, not often without security or not often without my inspectors because I am the district attorney, and I do unfortunately have a role that puts my own personal safety at risk. However, before I became the district attorney, yes, I walked around Oakland. I go to the dry cleaners. I go to restaurants. I go to stores like most people in Oakland do. The amount of crime that we've seen has escalated. But I do believe that there are neighborhoods, whether it's College Avenue. I was on College Avenue the other day without an inspector. Um, there are, And I, I go to other neighborhoods where I do see people walking, uh, talking, engaging, uh, and without, you know, the police being there. We have all learned to live in a city, and that's what we have to remember. It is a city. We have our problems. But Oakland, as an Oakland resident, I can tell you it's a very vibrant uh, culturally diverse, dynamic city. And we're very proud, those of us who have been there uh, for these many decades, we're very proud of our city and we want to reclaim it. Where we have lost the soul mm-hmm. is the pandemic, mm-hmm. is the housing crisis. We've watched since 2018, I watched the number of homeless people in Alameda, in Oakland, spiral mm-hmm. out of control. And our educational system, someone mentioned earlier, the issues with Oakland Unified School District, our graduation rates have been adversely impacted. And the number of uh, job opportunities for young people graduating from high school, all of that plays a role in the crisis that we now face. And many of us were sounding the alarm back in 2018 under the prior Uh, city administration, that we need to have a policy that addresses our housing crisis now. And we're still waiting for that. Um, Before we bring in another caller, uh, another listener uh, just wants a clarification here. Um, District Attorney uh, Price explained that the DA does not release the accused. The judge decides whether or not to do that. Um, Doesn't the DA make a recommendation, though? I'm trying to make up my mind on recall, so would appreciate a clarification. 
The DA has the opportunity to argue whether a person should be released on their own recognizance, whether they should have bail set and what the amount of the bail is. There's typically a bail hearing that my deputies participate in, and that is the process. The person, if there's going to be, depending on the level of crime, will always has an attorney. Every defendant has a constitutional right to an attorney. Uh, and most people facing some type of criminal action have attorneys and their attorneys also participate in the process. They get to argue mm-hmm. whether the person should be released on their own recognizance, whether bail should be set, and if so, what the amount of bail should be. Also, the judge gets to decide how he's going to rule. He or she will rule on that argument as well as what the terms and conditions of the bail will be. But, you know, if you if you look back at the history of progressive DAs and you look back at the kind of theory of why people should start electing progressive DAs, wasn't part of it that you would charge differently, right? That it would be a, a, a different kind of approach to um, to the carceral system. Yes. I mean, certainly our policy on enhancements is different from my predecessor's policy, and it's driven by the legislative will and the guidance that we now have. We didn't have a sentencing commission to review our sentencing structure in 2010 or you know, 1990. So we're, we're moving forward. Progressive means progress. And yes, we want to improve the operation of the criminal justice system as well as the outcomes. And I think that's what drives people to elect progressive prosecutors when you look at the outcomes. If we If locking people up was going to make us safer, we would be the safest country in the world because over the last 40, 50 years, the number of people that we have incarcerated and certainly the number of black people who have now been subject to the criminal justice system, we have more folks than during slave times that are either on probation, parole, or being prosecuted. Also in Alameda County, we have a very significant problem with pretrial detention, that we are spending literally millions of dollars to detain people in Santa Rita County Jail who often don't get charged or they get released uh, or they get acquitted. And so it's a real financial issue when you start to look at how we are administering justice. And as a progressive prosecutor, that's the lens that I'm bringing, is that we have to look at all of the parts and the impact that it has on the community. Let's uh, bring in Bryn in Union City. Welcome, Bryn. Hi, thank you for taking my My question is regarding this restoration. There was no transparency in the number of voters uh, to vote for that. Uh, One question about uh, the reality of the number of votes, because the crime is gone through the roof in Alameda County. I don't feel safe in my town and in my city. I actually would receive anybody in Oakland because that is so unsafe to drive to Oakland and San Francisco. In the 25 years I lived in Santa County, I have never encountered the crimes that, that we are subject to. Yeah. Well, Brian, um, unfortunately, you're kind of breaking up a little bit. I, I, here's your question as I, as I understand it, that um, 
uh, District Attorney Price, when you said that people had voted for restorative justice, that uh, there wasn't transparency to in Bryn's mind, that restorative justice would be kind of the, the frontline strategy and that with increasing crime, um, maybe that strategy should change. Um, that's sort of an expansion of, of what she said based on what she also told uh, our screener. Uh, District Attorney Price? We ran a grassroots campaign across the entire county. I walked in Union City. My supporters walked in Union City. I was endorsed by many uh, elected leaders in Union City as well as across the county. Um, restorative justice is just one of our strategies, and it has yet to be developed and uh, introduced in a real way in our office. I was fortunate to be able to hire an attorney who is experienced in that, and we are working on that unit, but it has not rolled out yet. There was some elements of restorative justice that were previously present. The office, the district attorney's office, had worked in the juvenile arena with Community Works West. Alameda County and Oakland in particular is the birthplace of the restorative justice movement. My dear friend Fanya Davis was one of the co-founders of restorative justice for Oakland youth. It was very successful in the Oakland Unified School District as well as in the juvenile justice system. And it has become a national motto and has been expanded across the country. So I think that those that uh, those of us who were involved in the criminal justice movement and reform and dealing with crime, we understand that one of the more effective ways of addressing crime is restorative justice. San Francisco is a perfect example. The restorative justice program that was pioneered and piloted in San Francisco by George Gascon had tremendously better outcomes uh, in its impact and holding people accountable than the traditional criminal justice system. We don't have that yet in Alameda County. I can assure uh, the caller as well as all of the residents, it will be a tremendous improvement in holding people accountable and providing uh, healing for victims because restorative justice is driven by victims. It is not something that I or the defendant's control. It is a victim-driven and victim-centered process. And so we're looking forward to being able to bring that. And I think people will see the benefit of it once we're able to get it online. Yeah. You know, I want you to be able to address really head-on what I think is has come through in a lot of the, the comments and, and some of the calls, which is the idea that by changing the way that district attorneys are even seen that by by saying we're going to do more diversion, we're going to do more restorative justice, we're going to use enhancements less, that there's an emboldening effect for people who might be committing crimes or thinking about committing crimes. Um, what's your response to those people? That conversation did not start in 2019. So it's not a one for one. When you look at the rise in crime and the kind of expansion of different kinds of crimes and the rise in violence, particularly through the pandemic, there was no conversation in the pandemic that, oh, the DA is changing the way that they are prosecuting cases. So there's no real connection. That argument is a political one that has been used to exploit people's fears and their experience with crime to point the finger at the district attorney in a way that 
was never used before the election of so many progressive prosecutors around the country. I mean, no one charged my predecessor with, you know, doing her job somehow when the number of ghost guns in Alameda County and the rise in violence came about. It started under my predecessor. and. Yeah. So are, do you think we're in a backlash moment, though, right now? We absolutely are in a backlash moment. Look at what happened on January 6th, where people tried to turn back the election, the duly elected president, and stop the certification. We are absolutely in a moment where those of us who fight for democracy, as I have since I was a child, uh, listening to the teachings of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that those of us who are trying to move the country forward, there's a tremendous backlash, and it is an undemocratic way yeah. of undermining government. And that's at the heart of this. Yeah. You know, I want you to make your closing argument for voters who might be thinking about how they want to vote in the recall. I think your supporters um, know why they voted for you. But what about for for critics? Like, what what's the message for them about why they should vote against a recall? The people who are not sure should give us a chance. This recall is a politically motivated um, process that's driven by a few wealthy individuals, and people should give change a chance. We are improving the administration of justice in ways that have not taken place in decades. We walked into an office that was not prepared for transition, that had not experienced change in the last 50 years. And within the first 30 days, people started saying, well, let's 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 have a do over. Hmm. And so that's not a, that's not how our democracy works. When you have a fair election and someone is fairly elected, I did not cheat like some other folks did in 2018. We didn't cheat. We ran a people-powered grassroots campaign. And this recall is not a grassroots campaign. It is something that is funded by a few wealthy individuals. It is driven by those who were disappointed in the outcome in November. And it is important for voters and residents to realize change takes time. The system was not broken in a day. It will not be fixed in a day. And so it's not fair to me or my administration or the people who voted for us, the majority of the residents of Alameda County. It is not fair to say we don't like how this turned out. Let's have a do over. If you want to hear more about the details on the recall and funding of it, et cetera, you can listen to our sister podcast, uh, The Bay, great one with Annalise Finney and Erica Cruz Guevara. We've been talking with Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price. Thank you so much for joining us, District Attorney. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thank you to all of our commenters and callers. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.